Hi there, and welcome again to another Music Ally podcast. Uh, this is a great episode from a show that we did on Music Ally TV uh, towards the end of 2020, um, and uh, we're just catching up and uploading it now. It's about Deezer's user-centric payment system, and we discuss the user-centric payment system in general, compare it to the current systems of recovering royalties from streaming platforms. Um, this was a show that took a long time for us to set up because not many people are very keen on talking about user-centric payments, although in the end we did get two really first-class guests to come and talk about it. Alexander Holland, Deezer's Chief Content and Strategy Officer, uh, shared latest news on Deezer's research and their ongoing user-centric payment system trial. And joining him was Lotalina Pokkanen, Head of Legal Affairs for the Finnish Musicians' Union. Uh, Lotalina created a comprehensive and uh, extremely useful study on what user-centric payments would mean for artists and labels. Now, in 2019, Deezer announced that it was going to start its trial of the user-centric payment system. And uh, just for clarity, uh, UCPS, as it's known, is a very different way to pay rights holders based on the streaming user's listening behavior and is hailed by some people uh, as a much fairer method of re uh, rewarding artists and songwriters. UCPS is a controversial topic. Um, in 2019, $11.4 billion in revenue was generated by music streaming and deciding how that money is shared between the people who create it is complicated. So we got a really good discussion uh, going with Alexander and uh, Lotalina and uh, well here it all is for you. As ever um, Patrick Ross, Music Allies SVP of Digital Strategy joined me um, and we really dug deep into this issue and got some uh, really uh, strong opinions from both Alexander and Lotalina. Uh, unfortunately Alexander uh, had a bit of a wobbly internet connection and occasionally dropped out but uh, we did manage to get uh, everything that he wanted to say. So here it is, thanks for joining us and uh, enjoy this show. What we're talking about today is um, <clears throat> A topic that I've been, and Patrick, uh, we've both been dying to talk about for a very, very long time. As part of our ongoing conversation on Music Ally with all parties involved in music streaming and how uh, rights holders and artists are paid from that system. We're talking uh, about Deezer's user-centric payment system and what the state of that is in 2020. Now, this system, the user-centric payment system, has been held up by some artists as a fair way of rewarding them uh, from their music being streamed. And last year, Deezer uh, announced in, in a, a, a very uh, widely reported move that it's going to trial the user-centric payment system, or UCPS, with a focus, they said, on seeing whether the system is fairer. We'll find out uh, what the latest developments are and what the possibility of this system um, happening and being adopted in a wider sense is post-coronavirus as people are looking to adjust to new ways of making money. We'll also talk about the possibilities of change. Can user-centric payment actually happen? And what are the incentives behind that change? And also, is user-centric payments the, the solution, the panacea that some people have made it out to be? Now, uh, let, let me quickly introduce everyone here. Uh, Patrick, who is on the boat, uh, the Music Ally boat in London. Hello, Patrick, uh, who is the SVP of Digital Strategy. He is going to be here answering your questions. So do hit the Q&A button at any time. Get your questions in early, and it means that we'll probably get around to answering them. Um, he is also going to be sharing some interesting links, uh, which he's just done in the chat, 
Uh, so check the chat out. There's a great link he just shared in there, which was a, a comprehensive roundup of uh, user-centric payment system by Musical.ly's editor, Stuart Dredge. Uh, so keep checking, checking the chat for uh, context. Try saying that after you've had uh, a couple of beers. Now, let me introduce the panel. Uh, joining us uh, from Deezer, uh, is Alexander Holland, Deezer's Chief Content and Strategy Officer. Now, he's going to be talking about the much-vaunted uh, uh, user-centric payment system experiment, which was launched last year with the hashtag MakeStreamingFair. Uh, Alexander, thank you for joining us. Thank you, thank you for having me, Joe. It's a pleasure on a Wednesday, and uh, congratulations uh, once again to your upcoming uh, birth. And Thank you. Keep us posted on the developments, uh, much more important than UCPS by all means. Uh, I, thank you very much. And believe me, I will be spamming everybody with photographs uh, very shortly, uh, yourself included. And thank you for joining us. Uh, 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 Alexander is uh, in, in Italy, I believe, at the moment. Uh, and uh, joining us from, I believe, Finland, I'm guessing, is it Lotalina Pokinen, the head of legal affairs at the Finnish Musicians Union. And Lotalina and the union has done a lot of research into UCPS and uh, created a comprehensive study of what user-centric payouts would mean for artists and labels. Uh, Lotalina, hello, welcome. Hi, Joe, and hi, everybody. Uh Nice to be here, and also congratulations to you, to your baby-centric future. Uh, thank you very much. And uh, by the way, what a wonderful background you have uh, right next thank to you. you there as well. Thank you. It's my Marimekko curtain. Oh, yeah, fabulous. <laughs> yes. Okay. Uh, now, and uh, well, Patrick, before we start, can you, do you want to quickly just do the, uh, the, uh, the plug that we all are here for? What is Music Ally for the people who don't know what it is? Well, Music Ally is a knowledge company for those that don't know. Um, hopefully most of you have tuned in before. Hopefully uh, a lot of you out there are subscribers and read our daily bulletin um, and have been keeping up with all of this news and are just as excited as we are because we've been covering this for quite some time. Mm. Uh, very excited about today's show, um, but do sign up. I'll pop some links in. If, uh, if you don't subscribe to read us, please do so. Um, and uh, yeah, check out more on musically.com. Great, thank you, Patrick. Now, uh, again, um, user-centric payment is uh, complex, controversial, uh, and uh, something people want to hear about. So if you do have a question you want to ask directly to uh, Alexander at Deezer uh, on what they're doing, or Lotalina on what the research has shown, uh, or, or Deezer's research has shown, you please, please get a question in early and we'll, we'll get it in front of them. Now, in, we'll talk to them about their research it's a, it's a controversial topic because it's in an industry that saw um, over $11 billion in revenue, that's from last year's IFPI report, or this year's IFPI report, generated in the music streaming sector in 2019. Uh, the way rights holders are paid is complicated, and recent campaigns, for example, like on the artist side, like the Broken Record campaign in the UK, are calling for more money to go to songwriters and musicians. So is user-centric payment the fairer model that we're looking for? And is there a way of actually getting this adopted in a more mainstream way? Uh, as a very, uh, I'm gonna try now and describe, describe a very uh, simple overview of what user-centric payment system is, and I'm relying on uh, Alexander and Lotalina to correct me where I get it wrong. So as a quick recap, as it works, under the user-centric payment system, for each listener, the royalties portion of their monthly subscription is divided only amongst the rights holders of the artists that they listen to in that month. So for instance, if they only listen to Drake in September and no other artists, 
his music that they listen to secures 100% of the money paid for that month, ex excluding the money that goes to the platform to make the thing happen in the first place. Please correct me if I've got that wrong, but as I understand it, that's, that's how it works. So, uh, Alexander, I'd like to uh, perhaps start with you. Um, this was a, a, a very big move for a major international streaming platform. Why did you, at Deezer, decide to, perhaps you could explain what the experiment is that you've done so far, because you haven't launched user-centric payment as an actual process in real life yet, but you've done a lot of research and you want to roll this out in some test areas. So why did you choose to do that? So I think, and thank you, Joe, and you've explained it perfectly right. I mean, we're chipping away here for many years already, and as you can imagine, this can largely happen only in in the context of agreement with our label partners. We cannot unilaterally introduce UCPS and say this is the way we do it. And we started this initiative about four years ago, three years ago. And, and in Deezer, we, we tried to challenge the status quo and we looked at that and said that doesn't seem right, that the people that stream a lot and that somebody that is a, is a kind of, as you would say, a kind of uh, fan of Drake, listens to Drake only, but doesn't have much time at hand and, and streams relatively little, moves uh, very little money. So we, we, we came up with this idea. It was not brand new. We, we elaborated on things that had been done in the past, more in a theoretical sense. And we, we started this initiative in earnest uh, about three years ago. Now, there's many advantages, and I think you, you mentioned uh, predominantly fairness. I mean, fairness, I would consider it is more mm. fair if my money goes to the people that, to the artists that I love, rather than this running through a black box. And talking about black box, it's definitely more transparent um, if we run it through a UCPS system. Um, as you can imagine, it's also um, more, um, more suited to fight fraud as always not all the aspects of fraud can be eliminated by doing ucps because you only shift the money that uh, that you really pay and not more money if you stream above above the average um, it also leads in our view to better allocation of the money across the spectrum of artists and genres of the young heavily streaming population that kind of then subsequently is also distributed and last but not least um, and what we have only lately found out is that it might create almost like a pension fund so even artists right. that in the short term might suffer you hear so even right. artists I think we've, uh, we, we lost that last sentence. Uh, we lost your last sentence there. You were, you were mentioning that it was creating a pension fund for, for artists, in a sense. Indeed. So, so artists that in the short term might lose, um, in the long term might get this money back right. as their audience grows older and their frontline catalogue becomes kind of uh, a back catalogue. 
So we've just started analyzing that in more detail. So uh, to, to diffuse the argument that we're, we're kind of massively redistributing here, it's, it's really more about possibly the, the timely um, nature of Yeah. So, so we're, we're possibly talking about uh, shifting the focus to the medium and long term for artists as opposed to short term gains on immediate releases, which are perhaps being prioritized under the current system. Indeed. Yeah. Uh, great. And um, you know, you said that you know that for Deezer, this is something which is sort of inherent. Like you wanted to um, to, to to challenge the status quo and look for fairness. Um, uh, you've supplied Deezer have supplied some interesting data, which I'm going to uh, share on the screen now. Uh, this is from um, uh, some research you did. Of course, the UCPS is not going live anywhere yet, but you've used existing data to make forecasts of what it could be like. Is it, that's right, isn't it? And what I've yeah. got here is um, uh, some research, uh, which I will share with you right now. Uh, and this you should be able to see. And um, that is research from the UK. So this is based on how uh, uh, the user-centric payment system would affect genres uh, that, have, that are streamed in the UK. Um, can you, first of all, can you see this, Alexandra, and can you talk us through it and explain how that change works? Yes, in, indeed, and, and as you would expect, um, you will see here that the, the genres um, that are predominantly listened by a slightly older target group are benefiting and the, the ones that are listened to by younger target groups are in tendency um, uh, receiving uh, proportionally less. Now pop is, is a bit of an outlier as you well know. I mean the, the pop tagging and the, the pop um, genre allocation in the metadata is very very wide so I wouldn't overinterpret the pop issue here, um, but you'll see that, um, relatively speaking, classical country and, and reggae in the UK are, are benefiting most. And then you have um, some of the more, more kind of younger genres, uh, electro, hip hop, um, losing out here in, in some countries. You also see that uh, with, with rap in particular, but it differs from, from country to country. So in, in Germany, the bigger um, winners would be folks music and Schlager, um, as one could expect. In, yes. in, in general, the divide, the divide here is along the lines of the age of the, of the user. Right. And so what we're actually, yeah, so this sort of ties in what you were saying that, okay, in a, in a sort of uh, a more holistic sense that the, music from artists who are hot right now might take a little bit of a hit, but as their career progresses, they're going to be earning more as the audience moves with them, uh, as you can see in your research here. Um, and that was from, that was, I'll, I'll end the screen sharing so we can go back to the group. Uh, so thanks for sharing that, uh, Alexander. So that is from uh, data from 2019. Um, Perhaps we can, uh, so thanks, Alexander, very much. We'll just move to Lotalina now, because I'm, I'm, I'm aware that you're standing by uh, very patiently, and thank you. Now, you've researched this uh, topic very deeply as well. W what have you concluded, perhaps we'll, we'll, you've sent us some slides to compare as well, some data, but what have you concluded from looking at the user-centric payment system, uh, and what are the benefits 
let's start there and then we'll talk about the age divide in a second maybe. Yeah, thanks, thanks, Joe, and thanks, Alexander. It's really interesting to see your figures, and I'm really happy that Deezer has made this, this uh, swift. Uh, first, coming from a, from a wider perspective, uh, as a lawyer or head of legal affairs at the Musicians' Union, the Musicians' Union uh, covers both musicians and artists. So we are, we are members of the International Musicians' Union, FIM, and but, but we are also members of IAO, the International Artist Organization. And uh, for me, the main thing behind user-centric is transparency. And I've been around since 2001. That's when I started my work as a lawyer at the Musicians Union. And I've been passionate about music business contracts ever since I first laid my eye on them because you didn't see those in law school. Yeah. I'm also a violinist, so it was sort of like I don't know, my path was, was determined to go there. And, um, and obviously my passion is to make being a professional musician and artist as, as profitable as possible for anyone. And in recording industry, it all comes down to the recording contract. Yeah. So with user-centric, we are not really going to fix that. But uh, when there was still when CD sales were the biggest thing, you could sort of, you could sort of guess how much you were going to make on sales, and we had this estimate like one euro per CD is an estimate what an artist would make, and if you sell three thousand yeah. CDs, that's when you break even. But with streaming and and services like Spotify, you suddenly just didn't know, and suddenly it just became like really blurry how it functions and then we were lucky enough and we were really happy to re really receive data from spotify that we could then sort of start mining and we have a, and this we was for your research that you did uh, recently wasn't it on, yes on it was yeah 2018 the, so, so you applied the sort of principles of the user-centric payment to this data and saw what the difference could be um, so I'm going to share now the uh, there's two slides which sort of demonstrates this in a sort of pyramid format of, of how that money is distributed between the top tier, mid tier and basic tier of, of the artists. Uh, so you perhaps talk us through that if that's okay. Yeah, sure. Um, excellent. Thank you. So here we go again. Um, here's the, the first slide. Could can you talk us through this, please? Yes. So what we got from Spotify were the user data from March 2016, and it was the premium subscribers, so the paid subscribers data. Yeah. And we got the, the, the tracks and everything. And then we had a researcher, Pradeep Durgam from Aalto University, who randomly took a sample of 10,000 tracks from that data pile, like random uh, sample of 10,000 tracks, and, saw, and, and then started sort of mining it and see yeah. what happened. And what he came out with was that top tier of, of the tracks that, that are in, in Spotify is actually really, really small. The top of the pyramid is really, really small. It's, it's less than 1%, but they get the most streams. And the right. mid tier is around 10%. They got okay stream counts. And then the basic tier, which is almost 90% of all the tracks that are on Spotify, just got less than 10 
uh, streams within right. that sample. Within that sample. So, so this is this is almost it's very similar, I guess, in some ways to the sort of the long tail uh, extrapolation of, of, of data, really. You've got a lot in, in the low level and then a little bit pushed up to the edge there. So if I uh, move on to the next slide, here we are. So um, what did you conclude from that in terms of how that applies to the payments, current payment system and, and in comparison to the user centric payment model? That basically what, what we found was that the top tier or the mass usage group is really small, but, it, but their share of the total revenue was really high. And with the change to user-centric, that top would lose money in the short run, as Alexander was saying. Uh, and, not, and none of these artists in the top tier act, uh, actually got uh, more revenues in the user-centric distribution model. But what, it, what was for me, it was actually quite interesting that when we, when we went public with the, with the results, the biggest aha from the public was not so, it wasn't the results, it was the fact that there is no user-centric at this moment. So I guess people who were used to buying CDs, they thought that their money is still right. going to the, the artists that they are listening to. So that was the actual news. And for me, what user-centric means, and in the re uh, actually in the, in the research, we found out that the middle tier and, and the, the, the biggest tier, for them, it's not that transparent. Uh, like you, you can't really tell how much they're going to earn in a certain month with user-centric because it always depends on how many listeners are listening. And, and if I'm listening to 1000 different artists then of course my 10 euros is divided to 1000 different artists so yeah. i can't really know as an artist how many people are listening to me in one month but transparency is the thing and that's why i'm really really interested as a lawyer also in this latest dsm directive that is now being implemented from eu level to national levels where it also says that when you transfer your copyrights you should know how much money is being earned with right. your copyrighted material. And I, for me, uh, user-centric is one part of this transparency. One thing you've both mentioned, interesting, thanks for that, Luckily, that's really interesting data. Um, and great to see the two comparisons side by side. And they sort of, I mean, I think they sort of, uh, they tally really in, in your research, uh, um, sort of uh, is comparable. You've both mentioned transparency as a clear issue. Now, this is something which, and that transparency cuts two ways. The public in 2020 are becoming a lot more aware, particularly perhaps since coronavirus affected everything and made people understand how supporting artists works. They're understanding that the money they're putting in the 10 euros or whatever it is per month is not necessarily going where they thought it was. And, and the other side of that is that artists would like to have, like you said, Lutalina, and you said, Alexander, more clarity, more transparency, understanding where that money's coming from. So my question is, if the public might want it and the rights holders might want it, is there a chance that it might actually happen uh, and be implemented at, at the level of, of streaming platforms? Uh, perhaps I'll start with you, uh, with that, Alexander, on that thorny question. Yeah, of, of, of course. Uh, I mean, I, I want this to happen and I'm sure it can happen. And this is why we're uh, relentlessly uh, 
um, working on this over the years, um, and I think the time is, is indeed riper than ever. But let me tell you one thing on, on transparency. I think it's, it's very, very important, and it also uh, creates a closer connection between the artist and the fan, if the fan knows that his money goes to the people that he listens to. And in this, in this regard, we launched a landing page last year where we simulated for Deezer users um, how much of their money actually does go to the artists that they listen to. And we, we launched that on a whim and we had no idea whether there was interest actually in the subject. And we had 74,000 people using that, which, right. which was far beyond our expectation. And, and a lot of um, feedback on, wow, I never could believe that only 3% of my money um, goes to the people that I really listen to. And, mm. and I think the, the, um, the interest in the subject is growing and the, the public support is growing. I still don't think it's a mainstream subject and I don't think that there's millions of people that are going on the barricades to kind of support us on our UCPS uh, journey. Um, but it is certainly growing strongly in interest now. Yeah, sure. Um, that's, that's really interesting. Um, perhaps, uh, Patrick, is this a good time to bring in a couple of questions? We've sort of, we've sort of had some initial um, uh, some data and some, and some understanding of, of where we're at. We, we have some good questions coming in from uh, the audience. Perhaps, uh, Patrick, you can, are we ready to bring in a couple? Uh, um, well, I think we, I mean, just actually answered one of them, which was exactly that question of um, our audiences, are the fans actually aware, um, which I think, yeah. as you said, is, is a very big education point. Um, and, you know, uh, the other outside of that, we've got some um, more specific questions that I think are sort of, um, oh, here coming some more as well. Um, but uh, basically the idea um, that the algorithm could also be part of this inequity, which I think is very much a platform by platform. Um, I, if there's anyone that has anything to say to, to the fact of what music yeah, that's, that, that's, that's an interesting point, actually. Thanks, Patrick. Interesting point, which is a lot of people are familiar now with all, you know, it's the, it's the magic algorithms that are pushing people towards certain artists and away from them. There is an element of that, isn't there, about um, uh, how people discover artists, but does that, but I guess this data is also, but keep it's the it's the algorithmism kept in mind, and it still changes it, doesn't it? Is do you consider, uh, Lotalina, perhaps how that kind of algorithmic discovery within platforms might affect uh, how people attach themselves and go back to artists, or is that is that is that a separate issue? Do you think? I think that's that's part of this discussion, and it's interesting that in Finland people mainly use Spotify as their streaming service. And so there's no real competition between the services. And I can see it from the record deals also that the labels are aiming towards mass usage. And that's what you're, you're sort of also doing with the playlists. Uh, and the algorithm, of course, also has a link to metadata, which we have also talked about in detail. Uh, and the fact that we still don't have all the metadata in place in these streaming services that we could have, for instance, who plays the guitar, who plays the saxophone? Can, mm, I, mm. can I search music according to my favorite drummer? So th those are also really interesting questions. But coming back to the question of whether 
the streaming services, is it profitable for them to change? I think it's really interesting that we are actually, we are talking about private businesses and we are yeah. talking about whether their model is fair. And, and I think we, we just have to keep on talking about this because I'm willing to pay, pay more for my bananas if they're fair, fair trade bananas. So I would be also willing to pay for my sort of fair trade music. And I'm, I'm sure that streaming services would get more paid subscribers if they would tell that it's transparent. And I'm really eager to hear Alexander's thoughts on this because I remember uh, Spotify saying that it's, it costs too much to, to change the system. But I would, I, I'm sort of not very convinced about mm. that. Yeah, thanks, Dr. Lee. Well, I mean, Alexander, you're enthusiastic to change the system to this, this new way of doing things. Uh, two questions there, I guess, which is, you know, do you think that it should be more widely adopted? And perhaps maybe why is it not being adopted by uh, streaming platforms? But secondly, is that an option? that it could be an opt-in system where if you really want your money to go to the artists you care about, you have to opt in to a user-centric payment system and maybe pay a little bit more. Um, so, so many, many questions here in one bucket. Yes. I mean, let, let's start maybe an unraveled day of or algorithms and we build them I mean bring them things best for them and, and most stable and willingness. So I don't can you read I think we've just lost you, actually, Alexander. So perhaps what I'll do is uh, I will give you a moment for your uh, internet to recover and uh, we'll move back to Lotalina and I'll come back to you in a moment when uh, things are perhaps a little bit more settled on your uh, internet connection. Lotalina, I mean, th this idea of a, an opt-in system, um, you know, and, and possibly the idea of people being paid more. Um, what is the argument in that case for the current system? The pro rata system where the money goes in and it's divided in a, in a system based on uh, how much usage actually happens and how many people listen to artists. Um, what's the argument for it? Because it's, it's like you said, we are used to paying for a CD or an album and knowing that a chunk of it goes directly to the artist. But this is, this is kind of confusing in that regard. How did we, how did we arrange, how did we end up in this, this position where this is how it works? and could perhaps change. Yeah, we have to remember that, for instance, Spotify was originally owned by the major labels. So, of course, they were there when this model was thought, <laughs> thought of. So they, they must have thought that it's profitable for them. And since they have big back catalogs, they, it's very likely that their music is being mass used. So, I think that's, that's one of the reasons, although having talked with some major label CEOs who are also willing to switch, they, they also have seen what Alexander said that they might lose some in the short run, but in the long run, they wouldn't actually lose that much because of people listening to the, to the yeah. catalogs. And of course, now I see it on my desk that major labels are doing more and more joint venture deals where they are even if the artist is the master owner, they actually 
jointly produce it so that the labels still have a say and still are sort of <laughs> pulling the ropes. So, yeah. I mean, that, that's an interesting point. If, if you think about um, uh, labels, their job essentially is to create catalog, more catalog. And as Alexander said, as we move through time under a, a user centric system, it seems like catalog gets more valuable. And this is something which, which uh, I guess labels have been, you know, on, on streaming platforms at the moment, the, the majority of music is only a few years old that's being streamed. Okay, so it's, it's, it's very focused at the moment on music being streamed is, is from current releases or from the past maybe three years. And there's this huge catalog of classic music, which is, which is sharing the, the other 50% of the attention. But this is surely a great argument uh, for streaming platforms to adopt user-centric payment, don't you think? And if people, are say, if people from these platforms are saying to you, it sounds like a good idea, what will it take, do you think, to adopt it? Just willpower. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I think it's a no-brainer, actually. Yeah. So <clears throat> maybe it just needs, it needs the one person or the bunch of persons to say, okay, let's do this. And I, I'm yeah. hoping that Deezer is here setting a really good example and, and getting that to be really profitable to everybody. Yeah. So that well, let's, let's, uh, let's ask, uh, let's see if Alexander is back in the room. Alexander, are you there? I can hear you well. I don't know how about you. Can you hear uh, we, me? We, can, we can hear you now, so that's good. Maybe we'll, well, I, I, as much as I would love to look at you, uh, maybe we'll just do, uh, your voice will do for now. So uh, what Lotalina was saying, of course, is that, you know, it's, it's valuable to labels because uh, the back catalogue becomes more valuable. You are pushing hard as, as a, a major streaming platform to make this happen. Do you think this is just a, like a lot is changing in the world now, that people want things to work in slightly different ways. Do you think this is part of that drive to shake up old ways and, and, and bring in a new payment system? And do you think that it might take, you know, maybe five years, 10 years for, for, for this to become a standard practice? Well, I, I hope not. I hope it will be much quicker than this, but then again, um, there is obviously always big obstacles to and then became huge and at that point nobody wanted to Maybe we'll, uh, we'll, we've lost you a little bit again, Alexander, unfortunately. So we'll come back to you in a moment. Um, perhaps, perhaps we can bring in another question now uh, from the audience because we've got a bunch of them. Um, Patrick, is there one that's caught your eye that we could, uh, we could bring in? One, one thing that I, I just, a comment, and then it kind of goes into a bunch of these questions here, um, is as we sort of, seems like we've demonstrated that, and I, this is what I've said for quite some time when people ask me my opinion on this particular issue, um, is that you're often hearing from, let's say, small rights holders or uh, an artist or a small label or a genre that, you know, doesn't stream quite as well as the, the sort of anomaly of pop. Um, but what, and this is nothing to do with major or independent, because that's where a lot of people like to throw eggs. Um, it's more to do with catalog is what we're talking about here, I yeah. think, in a lot of ways. And there are major and independent companies that own catalogs. And at the end of the day, um, you can see how these also private businesses that have invested in catalogs 
um, for whatever means that may have been, um, would be the ones to possibly not want this sort of model. So you've, you know, I think got a lot of vocal um, sort of artist types coming together, and I completely yeah. understand that working directly with artists. But then on the other side of it, and let's not let's not start to draw lines of you know where the financing comes from, but rather um, if you've got a large enough catalog and you've invested into this model of streaming. Um, is it, you know, as a business who perhaps this business also uses that catalog to leverage new music, we have to think about those things as well. Um, I think that's something very important to think about. Um, some of the questions that have come in here as well are, are just that is, is there any way that this can work if it's, it's sort of piecemeal, um, if it's pick and choose, or would this only be something uh, that would, would work if it was actually adopted uh, across um, all record companies could we could this actually work in piecemeal or is this something that has does it have to be a full shift? Mm. It has to be a full shift. Right. And, coming, uh, <clears throat> yeah. Yes, go on, Lutalini, yes. Yeah, I'm I'm just thinking uh, the corona time that we are living, why we are having this <laughs> this Zoom conversation in the first place, which is actually quite great because we have people from all over the world yes, joining. Uh, but it has shown that live income for the industry at least for the artists it is the biggest and when you take live out of the equation people can't live out of what they make from royalties for instance yeah. so it it's not sort of fair enough and i think this would be a perfect time now to say that we swift to user centric so that you can support your favorite artist yeah. and you can support your favorite artist by listening to them on your streaming platforms because now yeah. you can't really do that because you don't know where the money goes yeah alexander this it's um as lotlina said it's about support and and you were saying that you know you have to have all the labels and uh, all, all the representatives of the labels in agreement that this is the way to go forward um a lot of people in the on the questions are asking for fingers to be pointed and saying well who is holding out i'm not going to ask you that but um, obviously you need to get all of, if all the labels were agreeing to this, you know, we would be running it right now. What do you think can convince these big stakeholders to make the change across to this system? Uh, first of all, we shared a pile of data with them now, and I think we have come to the end of that exercise. I think they understand relatively well the, the detail and the, granularity of of what ucps means for them for their artists for their frontline for their back catalog and all of the above i think public support and indeed this becoming more and more of a subject and ideally artist support will be able to sway them over time and at least try it out with us in in any given of our territories our ambition is obviously to run this and roll this out globally but we we, we think it's easier to digest for all of our partners if we say let's choose this market and see how it goes i would be ready and and super excited to to do it on a global basis but we decided to push for certain key territories and and we are ready to implement that so i think the argument of from some of our the peers does not really um, hold. It is possible to to implement that. And w w while you're uh, while we while we got you, Alexander, technologically, the switch going from the current prorata system to the uh, user centric system is, I guess, a fairly simple technological switch, right? 
no, um, I, okay. I think that would be it, it's not fairly simple, but we have done the, the work and we're, we, we're ready. So, uh, but it took us uh, many months to build this and I, uh, it was completed largely in last year, June. Um, and, and we have been reporting to the labels and to some of our key partners in both ways so that they can compare and analyze the data. And you mentioned, um, Alexander, um, that the support of big artists might make a change. We've seen recently uh, Taylor Swift and Kanye West protesting very strongly about issues around contracts. I'm not going to ask you about that. But, but they have drawn people's attention to the ownership of masters, to contractual arrangements. Do you think that if, if someone of that size, of Taylor Swift, or Kanye, who are, who are making arguments based on fairness, it's fairer for us to have these type of contracts. If they started saying things like, it's fairer to have a user-centric payment system and talked about it much more openly, that it would actually start, these big stars would actually start to persuade um, labels and other people to, to engage in this system and make it happen. Yeah, ab absolutely. Uh I, I, I'm not sure if they convince labels directly, but if they convince their, their fans and their, um, their, their audience uh, to support that. Of course, every, everything helps and the, the more artists we support, we, we gain on that, the more high chance that we can implement it. Mm. And uh, lot, yes, yes, can hear you fine. That came through perfectly. Thank you, uh, Lotalina. You, you you deal with the um, the um, the interests of musicians and performers, um, and they have the the, the uh, especially in twenty twenty. They're building a much closer relationship with with fans than ever before. They're communicating with them directly. Not you know part of the connection is through streaming platforms, but a lot of it is through other platforms directly uh, that have nothing to do with streaming. If they are starting to build this closer connection and they want user-centric payment and the fans are starting to understand that, do you think there could be a groundswell where people start saying, look, this is what we want. And if, if that's what people want and they're willing to pay for it, it can happen, right? Yes, that's what I really believe. And I remember when we had the survey and we came up with the results and we started having discussions and then it sort of, it sort of faded. And I realized as a lawyer, I'm, I'm keen on seeing the result, like seeing a, a, a short result right now. But now I realize this is a topic that we have to be patient with and just uh, keep the fire, <laughs> keep the fire yeah. burning and, and not give up on the discussion. And of course, for even for big artists, if they say I'm pro user centric, but if they have a deal saying, that the exclusive right to decide on these matters is with somebody else, then it's just an opinion in a way. But also yeah. what would be really interesting if, if some big artist would say, okay, I won't give my music to this streaming service unless it is user-centric, or I will only give my music to the platform right. that uses user-centric. So, so again, the, a good comparison is that idea of fair trade, fair trade yeah. bananas, fair trade food. Um, Alexander, is that something that you've considered offering at Deezer uh, as a uh, as a strategy? Saying, look, you can pay you can pay, you can pay uh, nine ninety nine a month for simple access, or if you really care about artists, you can pay fifteen euros a month. 
Well, I think it's it's a, it's a bit it's a bit difficult to do that because ultimately uh, you have to understand that we um, we have a price point in in the market which is set in a way as a standard price point and shifting that upwards, especially in in our size, is not the easiest one. As Lotalina knows, um, our our deals are governed by revenue shares, so we give it to the to the labels. Um, I think this further um, complexify the issue and the combination around it, and I see no reason why um, we would not to introduce new CPS at least on a trial basis for everybody to kind of uh, observe it uh, without um, further applicated on that because then the audience you would really have to kind of drill very deep into the mechanisms and does my favorite artist really benefit from that or, or might he or she not and not recommend that but it's an interesting thought and and i, I think as a, as a second stage certainly to kind of increase our our revenue per user and, and give them quality services and, and value yeah um patrick do we have any more questions of note you want to bring in at this point or uh um, I mean, i'm happy to keep talking sure no we uh, we did want to um Alexander had mentioned about the National Music Center study in France um, was was one question if you could talk any more about that and also you know what you could talk about the French government actually coming in possibly mandating this sort of policy but yeah more about the National Music Center study. I'm, I'm not in not entirely sure if I did I quote this study which I don't know about. Um, I'm, I'm not sure I quoted this study. Okay. Um, um, but, you... Go ahead. No, no, go on. Please continue. No, but as as far as the the French the French government is is concerned, um, we do typically not want to rely on, on on this being being on on the regulator's side. Obviously, we're we're happy yeah. in a way that they see that as a good initiative. But we, uh, our aim is still to do that in, in consensus with our partners. So I, I don't think it's in the, in the core of our strategy to go to the regulator and say do that now. Um, it's, it's a subject that is of very much interest to us and we, we want to push that through. Yeah, thanks. Um, there's a question actually I, I spotted, Patrick. I, was, I might throw it at Lotalina next. Um, uh, sorry to jump in and stamp on your toes there. Um, but one question is, um, could, and this is a bit maybe next stage, but it does, while we're addressing, uh, addressing this idea of fairness, we've seen in recent years, um, songs have reduced in length for all sorts of reasons, but consumption patterns, people want shorter pop songs. I'm talking about new released pop songs. Are dropping below the three-minute mark for perhaps the first time since the 60s. Um, you know, it doesn't take a genius to, to say that, well, if you, if you pay people on a per-song basis, that people who release two-minute pop songs are going to make twice as much as people who make four-minute pop songs uh, if you listen to the same number of songs. So could user-centric payment also be extended to sort of talk about music in it and how it's consumed in general in a different way. Classical musicians, of course, who put 20 minute pieces on uh, streaming platforms uh, get the same payment as a, someone who releases a, a two minute pop song. Yes, definitely. This would have been, this would be sort of the stage two of the, res of the research. So definitely if somebody makes such a, 
the research that should be taken into account because that also brings more fairness if the length of music is being taken into account. And, and possibly a better creativity as well. I mean, it would just allow um, uh, artists to, to kind of compose a song as long as they see fit without necessarily being uh, penalized. I, I think it's, it's a very good um, initiative and, and after UCPS or as, as Notalina says, possibly as stage two, we, we would want to look into that as well. And, and also I have to add, now with pro rata, mass usage is what you want, sort of, as, as a label. You want mass usage. And even though I really value major labels' work, I have been really worried on the, on the swift that has happened on the contractual side, where new artists are being offered single deals instead of album deals, so that the, the label might try you out with a couple of singles and then you have an option to the next five singles and then again an option to next five singles where you're sort of forever trying to find that one hit single instead of building a long career that you can actually tour with because <laughs> if you're just doing singles instead of an album of course then it takes more time to get um, music to play on concerts. So, so one thing we're sort of talking about, which builds on what you've just said, Lotalina and Alexander said, is that essentially this is building longevity around careers of artists, being able to release the music they want in the creative way they want to be rewarded for that and to have some sort of openness and control over it is part of, when you look at it in a sort of bigger sense then, is, is the user-centric payment system could it grow that you know, we, we've acknowledged that some of the that that lotalina from your uh, research some of those top um star uh, musicians and, and artists may lose a little bit of money but is that is it going to expand the middle class are we going to have a hopefully a middle class of artists who can support themselves with money through streaming was that a question to me uh well you or alexander you, you whoever you can go first lotalina well, basically, it's, it's harder to, to see how the money will be distributed. But of course, if our research showed that everybody in the top tier would lose money, it will fall down <laughs> on the next tiers. So basically, yes, that's what it would probably look like, at least in the short run. Mm -hmm. uh, Alexander is... Yes, we have exactly that as a finding. I mean, there is a distribution in tendency from top to bottom. I mean, obviously, dwindles out then at some point um, in the uh, in the chain and becomes less less relevant. But there is in tendency a um, a, a trickle down effect. Um, it's it's not. Um, and as clear in our data as what Lotalina says, that there is no big artist that doesn't lose. I, I think we see outliers there. It's, it's not across the board, um, but in, in tendency, it distributes money slightly downwards. Right. And um, one, uh, perhaps we've got one final question, and then we'll perhaps do a little roundup at the end of sort of big takeaways. One thing that's been talked about a lot recently, this ties in with the audience's fans' um, understanding that perhaps they need to support artists in a slightly different way, whether that's through perhaps 
um, gated subscription services like Patreon, or whether it's through um, watching live streams and tipping as, as, as that happens. It's different types of interaction and payment, which is a good thing. But is the idea that has been floated of adding a tipping function within or gifting function within a streaming platform, which you see in some uh, Chinese um, streaming services, is that actually a, a bit of a, uh, a distraction? Should, is that something that is really, we should be focusing on changing the way that, money, uh, that music itself is monetized? Um, Lotalina, let's start with you again. Well, I would really want to see a swift in music business so that we who are in the business fix the transparency issue instead of saying, since we are not getting enough from our labels and the streaming services, you, our fans, maybe could pay us a little more. So I, I wouldn't want to have these as either or. So I would really want to, so as you said, it might swift the focus a little bit. Yeah. So I wouldn't see it as something that can fix the problem. And, and, and Alexander, this is something that you've, you've been, like you said, you, you at Deezer have been pushing uh, UCPS very hard. And um, is, is this your sort of number one priority in terms of change for, for the way that um, artists and rights holders are being paid? Is this, you think this is the better way of doing it, despite all these other potential options? No, no doubt. I mean, this is our main initiative, but I, I think they are not mutually exclusive. I, I think we will, over the next years, all experiment with a variety of um, forms to, to monetize music. It will also be driven by the artists to a large extent, and they will basically say, I want to monetize more through merchandising, through tipping. Um, I, I think there will be a dialogue between all market participants on how to best monetize that and and ultimately the the um, fan needs to decide kind of what creates value for him or not i mean if you have a one-on-one -on -one 15 minute q and a with your favorite artist this might be the biggest moment in your in your life and, yeah. and you're willing to to spend money on that I, I don't see why that that shouldn't shouldn't happen if, if it creates a value yes. valuable experience. But I don't think these things exclude each other. We're we're currently pushing for UCPS, but I'm sure we're going to see different forms of monetization yeah. across the board. Okay, and uh, well, let, let's start to wrap things up. Um, but it's been a really uh, insightful uh, discussion, particularly with this data and, and, and looking at how things are doing it. I think the one thing perhaps everyone wants to, if I was trying to take a, a, a combine all the questions that we've had today, and we've had lots and lots of questions, which is a really good sign, and we've tried to ask as many as possible in, in various ways. What everyone seems to be saying is, okay, what is it going to take to make this happen? So. That's the question I'm going to level at both of you now. Um, Alexander, let's start with you. You have you you are ready to go. Diesel want to do it. You are ready to hit the button and change the industry. What will it take for you to be able to do that? Uh, really, first and foremost, uh, patience. I, I, we will continue <laughs> fighting that, and we will gain, in my view, more and more support on on the side of the audiences, on the side of the artists, 
And at some point, I'm convinced that uh, our, our label partners will say, okay, let's try it out. Let's, let's see how that treats us and how that behaves so that we bring it out of the, um, the um, scientific uh, analysis into the, into the real world and, and push it out there. And I, I see that um, in the not so distant future, although I have been over optimistic in that respect before. So um, uh, let's hope that we can do it sooner rather than later. I think you can you can be excused for over optimism there. I think it's a it's a it's a good, a good thing to be in in that situation. Alexander, one more question before I move to Lotalina. Clearly, from Deezer's perspective, you're doing this partly to change the status quo, but partly because it it must offer a good future business opportunity for Deezer to be seen as the artist friendly platform, right? Yeah, yeah. We started that off without that in mind and i think three four years ago where the market was less mature i think there were less people even interested in that they were so excited in a way still of getting music streaming and and being able to listen to all the artists that they ever wanted to listen to from across the globe and with more maturity the people have um uh, uh, developed a better understanding of the lack of transparency and the possible need for transparency in all of these aspects. And as I mentioned earlier, our UCPS landing page had 75,000 users last year, which shows that there is an interest and certainly being seen as the ultimately at, as the fairer um, platform has its its benefit. It didn't start off this way, but uh, since we embarked on that journey, we might as well take the the good with a time-consuming bad. Yes, absolutely. And uh, just to uh, before we move on to Lozlina, we've had someone in the comments saying in the chat saying if Deezer goes user-centric, they will pull uh, their labels catalog out of all the other platforms, turn their family into Deezer users, and start promoting the cause in everything they do in the music front. I wonder if other independent uh, operators will do the same thing. Well, with that in mind, which is an interesting approach and uh, I'm sure might gain support. Lotalina, to, to take you back to that first question, but to finish things off, what would it take to, to, to make people switch if this is the right way to do it? Well, of course, we have to remember that we are talking about big businesses. What will it take to make YouTube license the music? It probably will now take this DSM directive. So. We have to use some force, but we also have to have a common goal and we have to have good examples like Deezer to show that it's still a profitable business to do it like this. So we just have to sort of keep on going and trying and pushing because otherwise nothing will happen. Do you think it's inevitable that eventually we'll, we'll switch to a system like this? Yes. Yes. Right. I think so. Right. And uh, well, that's what Alexander thinks as well. So that's, that's a, a comprehensive uh, roundup of that. So thank you both very much. And uh, thank you everyone out there for joining us. And that's it from me in Berlin. So from Patrick, me, Lotalina, and Alexander, goodbye. <laughs>